Welcome in to Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. Mike Quinn in the studio as well. Our AFC and NFC South division previews. We look at their fatal flaw, the fatal flaw for every team in the AFC and NFC South. Also highlight their win totals and make a pick on their 2021 regular season win totals. At the back end of the show, some opportunities to talk the biggest riser and faller from a draft prospect perspective in college football, bus watch, and more. Let's get it. We have to start because we recorded the Monday episode right before the, I would call the game of the week, Florida State, Notre Dame. That game was sick. Goes into overtime. Jack Cohn and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish end up winning that game. But I think where I, I came away the most impressed with was the Florida State defense limiting Kyron Williams and company to like three yards per carry. I did not expect. I don't think Notre Dame did either. Expect that offensive line, that running back duo who, you know, Brian Kelly hyped up on this show and others have as well, to, to, to not play as well against Florida State's defensive line. Like, I thought that running game was going to perform better. Now, Jack Cohn obviously lifted that up, and they had a handful of really nice contested catch touchdowns deep down the football field to win that game. I mean, in a game where, you know, both teams score more than 35, it's weird to call out defense. But I, I was kind of impressed with Florida State's run defense. Yeah, I mean, four new starters along the offside for Notre Dame. No, no, no Liam Eikenberg walked through that door just yet. You know, like, they, they obviously aren't going to be as good up front as they were last year. But I thought I was the guy I who was the most different, or I want to say via expectations, was Jack Hone. Like, he was legitimately good in that game. You know, his yardage, whatever, it wasn't because Florida State is not a good defense. I don't think they're that great of a defense. But he threw some legitimate dimes down the field in that game that I could not believe that you rarely saw at Wisconsin. Two big-time throws for him in that one. Uh the one interception that he did throw was kind of was the Hail Mary at the end of the game, which was one of the worst Hail Marys I've ever seen. But also, he does have a noodle. That's not going to be his strength. But I think compared to what Ian Book brought to the table last year, we could be seeing a lateral move for them. Now they made backwards moves in a lot of different places. Like I just mentioned, the offensive line defensively lost some impact players. But man, Kyle Hamilton. Special. That was a yeah. special performance. I mean, Kyle Hamilton had two of the coolest plays I've ever seen. Like, those yeah. two picks were were awesome. I think uh, Michael Mayer, the tight end for Notre Dame, met, if not exceeded, expectations as well. The two drops hurting, but, like, the fact that he's getting open left and right, yeah. that wasn't surprising. And you, you can expect to him to get consistently fed in that offense, too. Oh, They're yeah. targeting him early and often. For Florida State, it, Mackenzie Milton has to be the future, right? You, you can no longer move forward with Jordan Travis. Brian Kelly on this show said he was prepared for Jordan Travis. He felt like it was an yep. offense. You saw a break kind of right before the game that they were going to start Jordan Travis. But Milton comes in that game. It's a limited sample size. But I, I do think Mackenzie Milton gives this team a better opportunity to win. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and the only reason they were in that game, Florida State, is because I don't know what Notre Dame's game plan was in the second half. They were playing not to lose. When it's like, dude, Travis couldn't throw to save his life. Like, he went 9 of 19 in that game. They were so worried about he had one those dime. wide He had that one nice throw down the field. One nice throw. But they were so worried about like the widescreen game. They were just running five, six-man boxes against that Florida State, just giving them so much space to work. When Travis himself is a talented runner, that to me was the head-scratching, kind of just let him back in that game. Uh, some decisions there defensively. Hopefully they get that cleaned up by shit next week <laughs> i also felt that the notre dame defensive line was getting a ton of pressure on travis yeah but oftentimes not 
sacking him or not you know finishing the play and it allowed him to kind of break contain and he had some yeah Fos- plays there Foskey looked good Isaiah Foskey Breaksless member uh I believe he's a rising junior for Notre Dame massive dude he's like 6'5 260 like legitimately stands out his size along that Notre Dame defensive line but they just couldn't it couldn't corral yeah you know, Jordan Travis when he was when they did get home with those pressures he had four although he did have two sacks in that game himself so speaking of corral Mackerel mm. for Ole Miss. I thought that was a. Uh, I didn't think a lot of people expected that lopsided of a win for Ole Miss, even with Lane Kiffin missing that game with due to COVID nineteen. But Mackerel looked good. A lot of people are talking about Mackerel. I saw some. Hear me out on this. Talk about fun to read. I saw some Mackerel Zach Wilson comparisons on the oh, timeline that night. You Daniel name Jer- names. Daniel Jeremiah said Zach Wilson to Mackerel. Yeah, there were some others as well. I think Jeff. Jeff. Um, Lots of Zach Wilson to Matt Crowell's game. Yeah, there was a lot of Zach Wilson, Matt Crowell conversation. I think uh, I saw a handful of others as well. I, 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 he was, Daniel Jeremiah was not by himself. Now, when the godfather himself, DJ, says it, and other people are like, yeah, I was going to say that too. I felt the same way. Like I feel like a lot of people kind of came to his aid. But uh, that's what What was your opinion of Corral's game? I mean, Corral's got I, – I, I did like the way Jeremiah put it in the other tweet he had. They say he's very twitched up. Like he, he can get that ball out, quick release – with some juice, every level of the field. Like we talked about, he had the second most completions, 40-plus yards on the field last year with Carson Strong, Nevada quarterback, being first. So he has the kind of, you know, only 6'1", 205 is a small quarterback by NFL standards. That's that there's not a lot of sub-210-pound QBs shit, in NFL history. I mean, like NFL recent history. Um, obviously, back in like the 50s, probably a lot of them were. But at recent NFL history, there hasn't been a lot of guys at that size playing it, but... I don't think the NFL cares necessarily anymore as much. It is not as big a deal. It is more still can you sling it and Corral can for sure sling it. With a weekend of a lot of underwhelming quarterback performances, shall we say, and we'll get to that. And the biggest faller that I had over the weekend, it was not that for Corral for sure. Opposite. Last thing I'll bring up, you know, we talk Ole Miss, Ole Miss Louisville, we talk Florida State, Notre Dame, the Associated Press top 25 college football poll or rankings came out today at 2 p.m. Eastern. The site was destroyed. I don't know what the site was on crack early, but it's fixed itself. Any surprises from that list? Notre Dame gets up to number eight. Uh, you see Oregon at 12. I thought was interesting. I think that's a bit overhyped. And Ole Miss, and Matt Crowell's Ole Miss is up to 20 after being unranked the previous week. I think UCLA should be higher. I mean, really? the most impressive team through two weeks, I mean, week zero and week one, has hands down been UCLA. I mean, putting it to LSU and obviously Hawaii, but just ran away from it against Hawaii. They were built to win a lot of games, too, because of that offensive line being so good, being able to run the ball the way they have. Um, Zach Charbonnet being looking like one of the best running backs in the country through two weeks. And they're not even, like, beating them. Dude only had, like, 11 carries this past week and only 17 carries, and he's had over 100 Well, that Britton Brown guy is also very good. UCLA has yeah. a pair of backs that are both so, doing well. I think UCLA may be still undervalued even at 16. How much of that is, though? Iowa going up to 10 is absurd to me, but that, that one, like if I'm talking Iowa versus UCLA right now, which one's more impressive? You're joking me to say that Iowa has been. Who but. do you have in that big game? We, we can preview that maybe tomorrow, but Iowa Iowa State, a top 10 matchup. I think Iowa State's favored by four and a half. Are Give you meaning Iowa, Iowa State? Give me Iowa State. Gotcha. I think Oregon's a bit overvalued. I think they're going to come down after a bit of a bludgeoning against Ohio State. We're going Especially to be at that Dave game. Especially and, and if he's not going to be able to play, that's nail in the coffin. Uh, you have to have him if you have a chance, if you want to have a chance against Ohio State here. Uh, Ohio State favored by 14 and a half in that game. Oregon travels to Columbus, and so do we. We will be at that tailgate on Saturday. I think big noon kickoff will be there. Do we run into Brady? 
Is he going to be there? Oh, yeah, they are going to be there. Maybe I do. Maybe I hit him up. See no, what's don't up. tell him I'm coming, obviously, because I know I, I didn't go to Notre Dame, and I know he doesn't like anyone. Yeah, he, he actually Dame. would tell me not to bring you. So It's totally fine. It's totally fine. So you have Oregon at 12, USC at 14, and UCLA at 16. Washington completely falling out of the top 25 after an L to Montana. But I don't think Oregon looked all that impressive against Fresno State. USC kind of staved off a San Jose State team. I think uh, seeing UCLA dominate you know, both Hawaii and LSU, I agree that maybe they're on their way up. So some interesting stuff in the college football top 25. I also really liked how Virginia Tech looked. I thought that defense looked good. I thought Burmeister played above expectation. They're up to 19, North Carolina down to 24. That's another, the ACC, where are you at with the ACC? I know it's still Clemson's conference to win, obviously. And they have a cupcake, not cupcake, but their schedule is very easy moving forward. They're not going to run into another defense like Georgia for a long time. For a long time, maybe not to the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's probably the best defense in the country, so they won't. No, yeah, they definitely but not even in that it. same tier. Yeah, so it's still Clemson's, and they'll look a lot better when you are facing, you know, the Wake Forests of the world, the the Dukes of the world. I'm not even sure if they play them this year, but yeah, it's it's still the weakest Power Five conference in my opinion. It's early, but a matchup I really want to see in the college football playoff: number two Georgia versus number three Ohio State. Oh, I was going to say for Cincinnati. Oh, my God. Re- that offensive run it back. line would get legitimately fucked. Run it back. That was the one thing we talked about Cincinnati. You thought Clemson's offensive line was going to get dogged? That that would be a brutal – Ohio State at least has the horses to do it. Yeah, Cincinnati's O-line, even against the Miami team, did not look great. That's That would be worrisome if I'm Cincinnati. And now I love their defense. I think it's the best group of five defense of the past like decade. I don't know, since like it's really been power five versus group of five. And – their offense is still. I'd still be a tad worried if they once they face like a real pass rush. I think Ohio State, Georgia, though you got to you know maybe the, maybe the best defensive line in the NFL. I know you've called that before, but Ohio State maybe the best oh. offensive line in college football. I think those two that would be that. A cheeky, I think a cheeky matchup. That would be a cheeky matchup to look for in the college football playoff. All right, moving forward to the AFC South and NFC South division previews. We continue our preview series, but before we do so, got to mention our sponsors at DraftKings. Fire up your tailgates. The NFL is back. Get on the action before opening night kicks off with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sportsbook partner, sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving all customers the opportunity to participate in this year's no-brainer offer. DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Tampa Bay plus 73 for all customers. That means you can still cash in as long as the reigning champs don't lose by 74 points against Dallas. And if you haven't tried DraftKings yet, don't miss out. DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 more on any football game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFFBET. New customers bet $1 on any football game to receive $200 in free bets instantly with promo code PFFBET. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Free bet promotion for new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Max wager limit supply. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Shall we get to the AFC South? Starting with the Indianapolis Colts, PFF's 11th ranked team in the NFL, projected at 8.7 wins, whereas their DraftKings total has them at 9, and their playoffs odds, 49%, the 12th best in the NFL. I do a weekly Indianapolis radio hit. I talk about the Colts a ton, and while everyone wants to bring up, you know, how good will this defense be? Can they run the football with Jonathan Taylor? This offensive line's a top three unit. Everything comes down to Carson Wentz, who you could argue is under the most pressure of any player in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He needs to return to any level, any semblance 
of his previous form, you know, before the injury in 2016, I think it was 2016 or 2017, in order for him to even be still competing for a starting job in the NFL, like this is his last call. And he's on a good team. He's on a good roster. It's one that Philip Rivers, as old as he was, led to the playoffs last year. Wentz needs to meet Rivers' expectations or exceed them, in my opinion, for him to be the long-term answer in Indy. It's not even just returning to form, which like everyone and their mother knows he was a disaster last year. You know, 60.0 PFF passing grade. More turnover where he plays than big-time throws. He was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. He got benched for Jalen Hurts. It's not even just can he return back. It's is he even going is, – is he even going to be healthy? Is he even going to play? Like he had, obviously, Liz Frank injury, putting week one in jeopardy or was in the past. He's had torn ACL, LCL. Back a few years ago, he had the back, the broken back, the broken vertebra in his back. He had a hand, he broke his hand back in 2015, broke his ribs back in 2016. Like this guy has gotten hurt every step of the way. And it's not only like regaining form may not even be possible because those injuries build up and you are not the same person. Like I know myself from past injuries that you come back and sometimes there's no fully healing. Sometimes you are just a different person after certain injuries and back injuries, especially is the scary part. And he really hasn't been the same guy after that back injury. So uh, I think that's the worrisome part to me is he's not surrounded by an elite group of playmakers. It's an all right group of playmakers. It's a very good offensive line. He should not be under as much pressure as he was the last year in Philly, but he didn't have a bad offensive line in Philly. They, they were not even close to a bottom 10 unit in the NFL. That was still an average group at worst when he was there. He's the type of quarterback who just brings too much pressure onto himself with the way he holds on to the football and tries to make plays. So that, to me, is the scariest thing, is is he going to not only regain form, but play 17 games or even 12 games this year for the Colts? So much pressure on Carson Wentz to perform. And, and I would argue not an ideal situation. I agree. It, you know, Right now, PFF has it as ranked as the number two offensive line in the NFL, I think behind the Cleveland Browns. But it's the 25th ranked receiving core, according yeah. to PFF as well. And that that's not easy to overcome, especially for Carson Wentz, who's you know going to rely on those guys making plays after the catch and these different things. And defensively, I think Eberflus has outperformed expectations and coached that defense to be an average to above average defense, but still... It's, it's going to be Carson Wentz in some ways is going to have to be the guy here for them to win this one, win this division and then go deep in the postseason. Right now, the Colts are minus 110 to make the playoffs and plus 150 to win the division. Before you give me your win total bet, would you take either of those? Them to win the division at plus 150 or them at minus 110 to make the playoffs? Oof, no, I don't like those at all, to be honest, because the. The uncertainty at quarterback position. Like, that's the, when the most valuable position in the NFL is a goddamn toss-up at this point, whether he's going to be even serviceable. That's scary. So, no, I wouldn't take that. But I will say, I think you're selling, you said, average to above-average defense. I think you're selling them a little short, especially with the way Quiddy Pay looked this preseason. That's what they have been missing. That was kind of the only thing missing from this Colts defense was a guy who they know can win one-on-ones on the edge. They got to force Buckner on the interior. They paid a lot to get him to know they had one guy that could do that. Now, if you had a second one in Quidipe, if he does hit the ground running, shit, like this defense is a top five to ten, like easily top 10 defense in the NFL with both those guys if they are impacting the pass rush like that. So that, I do think they could ride that enough to still make the playoffs if Wentz isn't the guy, but I'm not, I'm not buying him just yet based off of until I, until I'm proven differently at the quarterback position. I'll just say that.
Colts last year ranked 12th in EPA per play allowed on defense, better defenses, Philadelphia, Chicago in that metric. But still, I agree that you know maybe above average to above average is selling them short, but the volatility of defense and how healthy this yeah. defense needs to be, I don't think their secondary is all that impressive. It's good for the scheme, but there's not a lot of dogs in that secondary. So they're going to have to, in my opinion, creep into that top 10. The receiving core is going to have to take massive jumps. Paris Campbell, Michael Pittman Jr., all included. And Carson Wentz, the biggest question mark of the ball, yeah. is going to have to return to some semblance, you know, may, you know, turn in a top 18, top 20 season uh, among all quarterbacks in the NFL for them to be all that competitive. Over nine wins, yes or no? I'll take the under. Wow. Unfortunate. Right now they're projected 8.7 wins. Let's move to the Tennessee Titans, the second-ranked team in this division according to PFS Power Rankings, but right there at tie for 12th. They're also projected for more wins and projected at a higher playoffs percentage, some of that, I think, being the two teams they play or strength of schedule. 56%, the eighth-best um, playoff odds in the NFL, and their projected win total is the same as the Colts mm -hmm. at 9. Now, before you start, something that I feel like has been underrated with this Tennessee Titans team, and we'll talk about the defense too. We've talked about them losing Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler a handful of times. They are trading Arthur Smith, who's now coaching the Atlanta Falcons, who I think was responsible, not responsible, but a big part of Ryan Tannehill's turnaround for Todd Downing, for where the last time this guy was an offensive coordinator was in 2017 with the Raiders, after what was a fantastic 2016 campaign from Derek Carr. They ranked 19th in EPA per play and 31st in play-action pass rate. Now, He's not going to go back to that form. I don't think they're going to run play action at the 31st ranked rate after being one of the top play action teams previously. But he's going to have to be a lot different than he was. I think this offensive coordinator change is being under-discussed. I agree. I, I do think I would be surprised if you – it's not an upgrade. You know, you're, you're not going to get, I don't think, better schematically or whether what Arthur Smith did last year. But at the same time, wasn't it – Matt LaFleur said, you know, he, that was my scheme, that he handed down to Arthur yeah. Smith, then that they – Randall last year and Todd Downing could take Arthur Smith's scheme. It's not too difficult to watch what you did last year and have what you did last year and just say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do this again. Because there wasn't the blueprint was, you know, zone stretch game with Derrick Henry and then play action off of that. It's not not a difficult blueprint to replicate. Devil's, it's, devil's a, it's, advocate. A, it's a it's a winning blueprint that we've seen around the NFL if you just continue that. They said the same thing when he took over Bill Musgrave. <laughs> he took over Bill Musgrave after what was the best statistical season the Raiders offense have had since the fucking Gannon era. Yeah. And they're like, hey, Todd Downing, QB's coach under Musgrave. Let's run it back. And it was literally horrendous. <laughs> so uh, easier said than done replicating the scheme. It Especially is, from Downing's perspective, he has one year in the NFL where he's been an office coordinator. Mm -hmm. And he was one and done. And they moved on from him. So I, I, I am interested to see how much Downing has improved. But it does get easier when you have Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and H.R. Brown just us that, that that's a nice combo to have and especially Julio Jones in that offense is a very natural fit for the verticality shall we say not necessarily a word I think I just made that up of mm -hmm. that offense though like it, he is going to be I just think that combination of Julio Jones AJ Brown is just going to present a lot of problems so after kind of being a little down on some of the moves they made this offseason just being like why'd you cut a Dory Jackson that was such a weird move altogether I've came around I've come around I like this Titans team. Uh, the Bud Dupree signing, like another one where we're just like, I didn't like love that move. But I've loved their drafts in recent years. Adding guys like Christian Fulton, Amani Hooker, Tier Tart, Harold Landry, David Long. I, I think all those guys are trending upwards. All guys I was fairly high on compared to where they're drafted when they got them, Tennessee. So I do think that this defense will have more teeth than it did last year. Because it was injuries struck them pretty hard. They weren't. They struggled on that side of the ball. So I do think the Titans, I, I could be 
I, I think they are the class of this division. Obviously, projected the same wins as Indy. I would I feel far more comfortable about Titans, and I would bet the over here. I think one of my favorite bets is them winning the division. I think they're right now like minus 115 to win the division. I think that's a bet I would take. I'm really confident in them winning this division. I don't think the Jags come close. I obviously don't think the Texans come close. And so many question marks. You know? <laughs> so many question marks have to become exclamation points for the Colts for them to even be competing with the Tennessee Titans. Now, I think their defense and its, you know, its play has been underrated, but offensively, Yes, they have all the tools to be a top five offense. You know, I think they have an average to above average offensive line. Julio Jones, AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill. Like this is a team that should be a top five offense. I, yeah. Let's just not forget. You know, when again, I'm going to go back to this Raiders team. They had Michael Crabtree, Amari Cooper, <laughs> a top three offensive line in the NFL, and Derek Carr coming off of what could have been an MVP campaign. Well, and, the Derek Carr was Derek. The, uh, all right, all right, it was right. a, no, no, I agree. I know, I agree. I, I do think that. A lot, the expectations are rightfully so very high in Tennessee because yeah. they have so many weapons offensively and defensively. I agree. I think there's some there's some talent there, but maybe they've been a bit underrated. Your take on the total? I, it sounds like you're taking the over. Over, baby. I literally said that actually. Oh, 9.3 projected wins according to PFF. Nine over. Uh, nine is the win total on DraftKings. I would lean the over as well. I think this conf- good man. I think this. I think this division is not that great either. I mean, it's not, it's not a good division. I know we talk about the NFC East being bad, but this one, I don't know. I think this division is yeah. another one that could be kind of shitty. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars next on our list here. Power ranking the 29th ranked team, according to PFS model. Projected wins at 7.9. DraftKings has their over under at 6.5. Playoff percentage at 36%. That's the 18th best mark in the NFL. I think all of... All of, you know, the hype around the Jacksonville Jaguars, adding Erwin Meyer, adding Trevor Lawrence, a lot of reason for optimism, mm-hmm. <clears throat> gets settled down when you look at week one that they're only three-point favorites over Houston. It's like, it's like, okay, bacon all this optimism. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. This Jaguars team is literally only— off of Houston. Come on. We were, that's a, such a soft line. Okay, continue, though. You're gonna, yeah. Well, you would bet the Jackson? Yes. Oh, okay, well, I'm just saying Vegas yeah. has it at three. Yeah, I got that. Three Three-point favorites over Houston Texans. The yeah. Houston Texans. High expectations for Meyer Trevor Lawrence. I guess it sounds like you're high on the Jags. I am. And as much as everyone thought the sky was falling after one ugly preseason game against the Saints, that even wasn't that ugly. I think when the first stringers came out, it was only like 10 to 3 or maybe 10 nothing. It wasn't that bad. Um, or J- Trevor Lawrence comes out in week three of the preseason, lights it up. Looks like against the Cowboys defense, just looks like the guy we thought he was coming out of Clemson. Finally looks settled down. I do think there's more than enough around him to win offensively. Now, obviously, it would be nice to have Travis Etienne, some explosiveness in that running game. But I do think uh, receiving core of DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones, solid enough. They do. Their offensive line, we've talked about this a lot, returning all five starters, but they are all five starters, and probably they lead the league in offensive linemen who are just good enough that you don't have to replace them, but are not good offensive linemen. You know, I would that's how I would describe Cam Robinson at left tackle, AJ Can at right guard, Jawan Taylor at right tackle. All those guys are you don't have to replace them. They're they're starting caliber NFL linemen, but they're about as bottom starting caliber as where you'll still feel comfortable starting that guy. So it's enough. It's the defense side of the ball that I'm kind of worried about, but I do think Josh Allen, Caleb on Chase on, you can actually get some semblance. You can I think that will be a good enough pass rush to have this defense be a lot better than it was a year ago. And they were intentionally trying to lose games a year ago. That's the other thing. They won one game because they were not trying. They were not putting out their best foot forward. And so I do think that this is a much, much, much improved roster, even if they didn't really blow their blow their wad trying to you know cake their pants 
in free agency trying to sign everyone and their mother to big deals. According to PFF's preseason rankings, they have a bottom 10 offensive line, a bottom 10 receiving core, and a bottom five secondary. Hmm. And I, I, I'm sorry, they're not three-point favorites. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites over the Houston Texans on the road. Vegas leaning into Terod Taylor and the Houston Texans. I think it, the, the total is too low at six-and-a-half yeah, to bet the under. And right now, of course, PFF's projecting them at 7.9 wins. But I will say this, plus 650 to the win division – think you might be lighting money on fire there because i think it is the tennessee titans or the Colts that win this one where are you at in the total i'm over six and a half give me what give me over all right we'll see next up houston texans they got they're the 31st ranked team according to pff's power rankings detroit lions falling i think at 32 and then projected wins at 4.8 i'd never seen a projected win total that low 4.8 wins is low and their DraftKings total is only four playoff in 17 games <laughs> Four, according to DraftKings, yeah. and their playoffs percentage at 5%. I, I put this in my notes here. Chase the number one overall pick and start Davis Mills. Like, starting Terod Taylor has me leaning towards betting over four, just to feel something, just to yeah. feel alive. Because Terod Taylor isn't the 32nd-ranked quarterback in the NFL. I, I don't think he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. I don't. And for that reason, and as bad as this roster is, it's a bunch of you know castaways. And no names and so much. You talk about newness with the Jags. You hear me talking about that. It's on new offensive coach, new quarterback. Dude, these none of these guys have even played together. They've signed like 40, 50 people in the offseason. This team doesn't even know. You know, talk about not knowing its identity. What? No one even knows each other. So I do think that there's a lot of reasons for them to win three or four games this year. But Terod Taylor, I don't think, is one of them. He's the reason they might win six games, not four. Yes. I, I don't even need to dwell on this too much. But I do just think go through their roster. Position by position, I think there's one group that is not a bottom five unit in the NFL, and that's their offensive line. That's probably the one position where you got Laramie Tunsil, Titus Howard. Like that's probably it's still probably bottom ten. <laughs> it's still not great, but this there's that's the only position where you're not literally basement positional group wise. So that basically tells you all you need to know. Not much to dwell on with the Houston Texans. Before we... You know what's crazy? Oh, the other thing I'll Go just ahead. say here. They're not starting a single rookie. They're an awful roster that's not even like developing young players. It's just a bad time to be a Texas fan. Sorry. Sorry, how? sorry to kick how? Them again that's what down. I don't understand. Like, how, are you not have, how do you not have the self-awareness that you're not going to be competitive in your own division, let alone conference, let alone the NFL, yeah. to develop some of the young talent on this roster? Well, I mean, a lot of that's because they didn't have a pick until a third round. Like, they didn't have— I'd still start Davis but... Mills. I would start Davis Mills. Like, what? Do you, why did you pick him? Why did you pick Davis Mills? Yeah. Especially because they come out and said, like, we will sit Deshaun Watson all 17 games. Like, so, I mean, we said it at the time. Davis Mills is one of the worst picks you can make there because best case scenario, you play yourself out of the number one pick to, like, the fourth overall pick. And maybe Davis Mills is quarterback of the future. Worst case scenario, you just lit it on fire because then you're drafting a quarterback number one overall next yeah. year again. So Tough stain. Before we get to the AFC South, or the NFC South, excuse me, a new partner to tailgate, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, efficiently licensed, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of big new Saturday, season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They just recently released Georgia, Wisconsin, and Florida. But this Saturday, we've got the North Carolina Tar Heels. Big fan of Homefield, have multiple crew necks, multiple shirts, love what they do. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF for 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. 
NFC South, starting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast today. Mm-hmm. Chris Collinsworth's pick for the NFC to go to the Super Bowl was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he argued over the Kansas City Chiefs, they okay. should be the favorite to win the, the Super Bowl. Yeah, I agree. They should be. They're, they're, they are. I was. We did some fatal flaws. I may have missed some fatal flaws for some of these teams. Oh, the Jaguars, it was rookies. The Texans, it was literally, uh, I put where to start. It was everything. <laughs> um, Buccaneers, it's, there's not a fatal flaw on paper on that roster. There is not a weakness to attack them defensively. There's not a weakness to attack them offensively. They are very, very good across the board. The, the weakness is that you're starting a 44-year-old quarterback who is already defied odds in, in the most massive of ways, but th- there will come a point where he's not, you know, that, that he actually does decline, that he's not the same guy, that he's not playing at a high level. When that will be, I mean, people, it's, it's fucking anyone's guess, but he's 44. That, that is, if there's anything that you point to and be like, how could this go south? It's that Tom Brady is 44 and your risk of injury, your risk of not recovering from injury, all those sort of things just increase as you get to that. I age. counter that with the TB12 method. <laughs> Apparently, with Chris was telling toast. me, Chris was telling me, so he just got done meeting with Tom Brady before we jumped on the yeah. podcast. Apparently, Tom spent like 10 minutes on the TB12 method and how it's just nice. legitimately helped him stay <laughs> afloat, you know, and kept him in his career for this long. And I think Chris said it on the show. He said, if any other person in the world was mm-hmm. talking to me, I'm like, okay, this guy's selling snake, snake oil. oil. Yeah. But this motherfucker is doing it. Like, this guy is 44 years old Literally. and playing the best of his career in one of the toughest sports yeah. in the world. So, there, there is a lot to be said if anyone's ever tried to diet or try to, you know, remake your body. Consistency. Team 12 method, I don't care what method it is. If you are on a consistent diet regimen for 20 years, it, it, it's going to be better than the guy who's, you know, cheating and going to McDonald's four or five times a week. Just, that shit. That, I also what think it is, is consistency. The con- we're getting a little into the weeds here, but the conversation <laughs> TB has about lengthening muscles versus like tightening muscles is interesting. I think in, in my head, it sounds like in terms of like stretching more and not doing like compact lifts and yeah. forcing yourself into things. I don't know. It's fucking interesting because the guy's 44 years old and should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right now, PFF has them as the second-ranked team behind the Kansas City Chiefs, but they do have the highest projected win total at 11.9. Yeah, Projected at 11.9 wins. DraftKings has their total at 12. Playoff percentage is the highest of any team in the NFL. PFF projects them to make the playoffs 87% of the time in their models. I, I am... And the other thing is they're fairly injury-proof also. Like, outside of time. Outside of time. Yeah, I mean, that's everyone. Outside of the quarterback. Yeah. No one's going to have, except for the... Eagles that one year, like no, no one <laughs> can survive quarterback injury. That's just. But a, I would argue a, a that the Eagles but, even. I don't know. Uh, but say you know JPP goes down, you got Joe Tryon now. Say one of your cornerbacks goes down, you got one of the deepest cornerback groups in the NFL. Like, like you have options at a lot of different positions that aren't just your starters. So they are, like you know, Chris Godwin goes down. You got Antonio Brown filling in for him. It is a very loaded team and one that, you know, could sustain like last year, a big injury to Vita Vea. You could, you could sustain a big injury um, and still not even miss a beat. I, I do think they'd have to see like a San Francisco 49ers wave of injuries mm-hmm. for this team to really yeah. slide all that far. I'm also, whereas, whereas you look at like the chiefs or the Packers, um, you know, Jair, or the Rams. Uh, Jair Alexander goes down. Yikes. Aaron Donald goes down for the Rams. Yikes. Um, Tyree Kill goes down for the Chiefs. 
yikes, that, that's not the case with the Bucs. And that's why it makes a lot of sense for them to be Super Bowl favorites because of how just kind of resilient that roster looks. No, I would agree. I mean, I don't, all those teams you mentioned don't have as complete of rosters mm-hmm. as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you could argue that teams you didn't mention, Buffalo Bills, Cleveland Browns, do have more complete rosters. Um, obviously, quarterback not being as good as Mahomes, not being good as Rodgers, whatever. I am also buying this Antonio Brown training camp hype. I, you know, people were talking about how he had more targets than Chris Godwin and Mike Evans combined from Tom Brady in the preseason. Arians is saying he's playing like he was when he was in Pittsburgh. It would not, okay, I'll say this. Yeah. It would not surprise me. It would not surprise me if Antonio Brown, like, legit lit it up this year and maybe wasn't the team favorite in targets, but went over 1,000 and crushed across the 17 game season. No, not at all. I mean, he's, always been a different dude and, and he's not one he's not one you worry about like he his off-field annex or his off-field annex his on-field has never been in question and his the way he takes care of himself and the way he practices performs has never been in question so um yeah that would definitely not surprise me because he was i mean he was producing just coming over mid-season not even you know being a part of that offense until what was it week 10 i don't know whenever he came so am i crazy to say i want over 12 wins no i don't think so at all because they will be favored shit every game they play it's <laughs> just about like there's not going to be a lot of games where they are dogs so 12 wins obviously high lines like that are depend on a lot of different factors and it's the highest line in all of draftings yeah, but that they they sh- if they are a fully healthy team and luck you know luck weren't a factor they'd go over 12 wins i also feel with win totals you know you're no not, no one on this podcast is betting 500 dollars on win totals but i like to bet I like to bet. Yeah, your money's locked up too long. It's yeah, bad, yeah, it's yeah. bad to do that long term. Yeah, <laughs> but also it's like, do I want to be rooting for the Bucks to lose every week? Absolutely fucking not. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be That's going through what? this entire season hoping that the Bucks lose more than six games or whatever, or yeah. more than five games. All right, New Orleans Saints, PFF Power Ranking. These are t- they are the tied for seventh ranked team in the NFL. Projected at 8.6 wins, DraftKings has their total at nine, and their playoff odds are at 44 percent, tied for the 14th best in the NFL. According to Bruce Gradkowski, an analyst here at PFF, the combination of Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill is a bottom 10 quarterback room in the NFL. Hmm. But how much better or worse is that than what they had from Breeze last year? I know. Uh, I I like over the nine wins. I, I like this team running it back, basically. Not, not, not f- fully running it back, but that's the thing. Is Breeze was not Breeze last year. He was serviceable. He got... I mean, he was hurt for a few weeks, and they won with Taysom Hill last year. And, and now, yes, they hit, suffered some losses. Jorris Jenkins is gone. Uh, Michael Thomas is going to be out on pop for the first six weeks. Um, no more Trey Hendrickson. Like, like they, they tried their best to keep the core intact, but they did suffer some hits. There's not a lot of places where they're necessarily better than they were a year ago. But they were they were a very good football team. I mean, they, shit, they almost beat the Bucks with Drew Brees just playing like complete ass in, in that divisional round game. <laughs> To where good Jameis shows up, they would could have won that game. So I do think nine wins, I, I will take the over for this team. Now, I, I didn't love their long-term strategy, what they did this offseason, but they are going to be still a good team in 2021. Yeah, I put in my notes here, this team screams high-end mediocrity. Too talented to be bad, but not good enough to you know compete with the top of the NFC. And part of that is because they're in a division where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should walk to their division crown. They should be the favorite and sign close. From there, it's like their roster is too good. You know, receiving core, even without and Michael Thomas, without Michael Thomas, is a bad receiving core. But offensive line is up there. Defensively, they have a ton of talent. 
Yeah, this is the worst receiving core in the NFL with Michael Thomas, I, I would say. I think it's worse than even the Lions. Traquan Smith, Marquis Callaway, Lil Jordan Humphrey. That's two UDFAs over the past two years. Adam Troutman's season? I mean, and that's it's, well, it's going to have to be. So that's that's the worrisome thing is that you can only put lipstick on a pig so much. Sean Payton can only do so much if you don't have guys that can win one-on-ones, which I'm not sure they're going to have guys that win I mean, you so, combine that bottom of the barrel, you know, receiving core with also with the Jameis Winston that, you know, we, <laughs> I'm not saying he's not a pig. I'm not saying he's a pig, but I mean, it's still not a top 15 yeah. quarterback in the NFL borderline, not even top 20. All right. That's your fatal flaw is the Winston coaster. But I do think that, like I said, O-line's still incredible. Top three O-line in the NFL. You are a good defense. You're going to have one of the best edge rushes in the NFL with Mark Stavenport and Cameron Jordan. So I will go over the nine win total. On to the Carolina Panthers and Atlanta Falcons. But before we do so, Western Southern, a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? However difficult, But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. The Atlanta Falcons are tied for 21st. And PFF's power rankings projected at 8.9 wins. Even a little bit ahead of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why the fuck do our projections always love the Falcons? They love the Falcons. Seven and a half is their projected win total. Playoffs odds at 47%. That is the 13th best odds in the NFL. The number one, I don't know if this is what you wrote for your fatal flaw, but this is a bottom five defense yep. with a bottom 10 offensive line. Yep. That... That combination is tough. Even <laughs> as good as Matt Ryan is, as good as Kyle Pitts is, Calvin Ridley, yeah. that is going to be hard to overcome. Bottom ten offensive line according to PFF, and also a bottom five defense. And I would agree with both those. Yes, it's just there's so many holes defensively. You're starting Jacob Tuatui Mariner on the edge. That that's one of your starting defensive ends. That's who you're counting on to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. You have like I said, a bottom five defensive line, a bottom five secondary. Maybe, I mean, the Jets is the only secondary I could think of that I would, that I'd think of as worse than this one. It's just not good on paper. So, yeah, they're just in that division, especially in that, like, that's the other thing. It's your projected wins. You have to play the Saints and Bucks. That's four games against them. And the Panthers should be even better than last year, too. So, seven and a half wins. Even with Matt Ryan, like usually a top 10 quarterback in the NFL gives you a nice floor. But yeah. as we've seen with the Texans and as we've seen with kind of parity around the NFL, I don't think it gives you that same floor anymore because a lot of teams can sort of fake a passing offense with a mediocre quarterback. And if you have at least a moderate defense, uh, you'll be better off than the Falcons. I'm betting with PFF and I'm riding with this over seven and a half wins right, because yeah. of the 8.9 i probably I just wouldn't it. touch it i wouldn't touch that seven and a half it's a fair, but if i had to bet it, i'm going over because okay. i stick with the math i stick with pff um but it is bleak it's bleak it's gonna i don't stick with the time. math on the falcons the, fa the falcons break math they <laughs> that they just do i mean shit they have been an absolute nightmare for covers the past couple of years no i i my wallet would agree <laughs> carolina panthers the 25th ranked team, according to PFS Power Rankings, projected at 7.9 wins with the same total over under as the Falcons at 7.5, according to DraftKings. Their playoff odds at 32%, tied for the 21st highest, according to PFS models. 
Obviously, the Sam Darnold-Joe Brady combination is the biggest kind of thing, the biggest conversation. Everyone wants to know how Sam Darnold's going to do. He's going to be so much better. This is his first opportunity. He's got a legitimate sporting cast. This is a bottom three offensive line. This offensive line stinks. Sam Darnold, man. You got you to gotta almost heal for him because— The receiving core is good. Chris McCaffrey's good. Joe Brady's good. But this offensive line is going to be tough to overcome. He gets traded from the Jets, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, Jets now have an O-line and some receivers. And he goes to a place where they're starting Cam Irving at left tackle and Pat Elfline at left guard. That's a disaster. That That is a recipe for not just seeing ghosts. Like, that's seeing fucking whole the haunted mansion. That's that's what that is. Luigi's mansion? <laughs> you're going to be – he's going to be – uh, it's going to be flat as back. Like he's going to be seeing stars. Like that is bad for Sam Darnold. It's not, it's, just, I don't care how good your receiving core is. And it's a very good receiving core. Um, I just don't think it's going to work too well there. And the defense is still too young, in my opinion. You, you I love the young, there, I love the youth they have added, but I agree it's young. Yeah. I, I still think it's too young to really say, ooh, they're going to be a top, what, 10 unit. I, I still think there's too much youth. You're starting, uh, too many young players at crucial positions that are just unproven to get me excited about this defense, really figuring it all out this year. So maybe probably one more year before I would consider that. So that's how I feel about the Panthers' chances. So you're going under the seven and a half. I, I am because the because of the division. I, I would go under seven and a half, even though I don't know that that one's very tough. I, I do think though, the fatal flaw is that offensive line, but. I'll just I'll punt on it. I'm punting on this one. I, it's gonna, wild that they're five and a half point favorites over the Jets. They're five and a half point favorites at home over the Jets. Yeah, have you seen the Jets secondary though? We just talked about that. Yeah. Worst, second, worst cornerback group in the NFL. Not a single one draft before the fifth round. Green line sees value on the plus five and a half. If you want to bet something this weekend, bet the Jets at plus five and a half. I also took some money line. Who cares? To go back to that secondary, you talked about how it's one of the worst units, if not the worst secondary in the NFL. Zach Wilson, fantasy football sleeper. They're going to be playing behind all year long. Mm. This this defense is going to give up some puntos. Mm. I think Zach Wilson's going to be getting like 35, 40 dropbacks a game. Be on the lookout. I'm giving fantasy advice now. I'm, I'm expanding to fantasy advice. I was going to say, we need to add fantasy to the header. We're NFL, draft, draft college, college football, football, fantasy. And the fantasy DFS. parentheses. You want to become a DFS pod? Never, dude. I actually have not ever played DFS. I think I've played I, a couple times. It's just not, I don't know. There's only so much time in the day. All right, we have a handful of segments left here. Biggest riser, faller, bust watch, the I fucked up segment, all that stuff. Before that, my favorite read of the show. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. And it's time you put the PP back in PPR league with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming just launched a new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. And get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. I'll say it again. That'll help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0. Trimmer, Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Reefs, and a Travel Bag. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having Derrick Henry run through your nose and ear hairs. 
Get 20% off your free sh- and sh- free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. If your significant other is nagging you about that Troy Polamalu down low and about how much time you put into your fantasy football team, you might as well gift them some beautiful balls with Manscaped. Turn that uh, that Troy Polamalu into a Bruce Krakowski. Turn, yes, turn that Troy Polamalu into a Mike Quinn, who is a proud, <laughs> proud bald man. Quinn, how's the Troy Polamalu down low? Your significant other need some help? Uh, it's not quite a Bruce Gradkowski. It's not quite a. Um, <laughs> it's not quite a Troy Polamalu. You need Derrick Henry. You can't, uh, you can't go completely bald because then that's that's you risk Knicks and that's that's a bad that's a tough scene. You're not risking Knicks with the lawnmower. Well, that's 4. true. 0. That's I'll true. tell you right now. Well, they need to send me one so I can confirm or. Deny or you can that. use promo code PF. I could use promo. Code is it the, uh, yeah. is it Carson Wentz? Is that what we're? talking oh what are you talking about <laughs> Carson Wentz got the buzz cut it's true it's true Carson right. Wentz also has red hair that'd be but a yeah that's a bad situation I don't even know if they make them for redheads I don't know all right <clears throat> off of the manscaped read my favorite of the show biggest riser and faller from college football week one we're gonna double dip on the riser here love that because talked about UCLA should be ranked higher and it's because players like Jack Charbonnet the running back there weak running back class transfers from Michigan again Michigan I don't know what the hell they were doing in their backfield last year. They didn't give touches to Chris Evans, who's now going to be a stud for the Bengals, like I predicted on the hot take. He's not going to be a stud He's going to be a stud for the Bengals. And then Jack Charbonnet transfers after only getting 19 carries last year through two games, 17 carries in two games. He has 223 yards. This past week against LSU, 11 carries, 117 yards, nine broken tackles on 11 carries, shaking dudes, running through dudes, 6'1", 220. He is, this guy is a riser maybe rb4 i mean zadav and i had a good good week too but he's in that mix they're in a similar tier in my opinion at the moment and then the other side of the ball for ucla mitchell aguda the juco transfer played something like 280 snaps a season ago looks solid 285 snaps a season ago a 3.6 overall grade kind of still raw a six foot four 245 pound long limbed edge defender still kind of figuring out this year 91.2 91.2 grade through two games against LSU. Seven pressures, two sacks, a hit, a hurry, three more run stops, a forced fumble, already three forced fumbles in two games. The guy is plays a little with a little violence, has some pop in his hands. Love the way he plays. I, I like the bend, guy's... too. I think yeah. he's bent the corner pretty well. And he has a few different moves in his arsenal already. Fan of his, he's going to be cracking the top 100 here soon. Love that. I, I found myself after both week zero and week one turning on the tape for Charbonnet and Aguda. I'm excited yeah. to continue to watch UCLA, the number 16 ranked team in college football, according to the top AP poll. PFF, Biggest PFF, PFF's own Chip Kelly. Yeah, PFF's, Run, he's an investor. He's yeah. he's literally a legend. He's, he's a legend PFF's around own. the offices. Yeah. Biggest faller. Biggest faller, and I hate to do it. But my God, Spencer Rattler, you just, that's the same guy we saw last year. That was the same guy who just isn't playing the quarterback position. He is playing on a schoolyard playground and just doing whatever he necessarily feels like at any given time and just throwing too many bad balls, just throwing too many balls in the coverage, trusting himself a little too much. It's so... And now he still made some nice throws. Like he still has the arm talent four days. He does. Like he has the playmaking ability. That is uncoachable. That is what you can't coach. But the fact that he's still so reliant on outside of structure, still so reliant on basically being able to hold the ball for five seconds every play 
is this is a problem. And three turnover worthy plays in that game, a lot of ugly decisions, two picks against Tulane. Uh that's not that's not getting you the number one overall pick right there. More any a few more games like that, and he can I just I don't see him. NFL teams are going to be terrified of that. Sam Howell, after his Thursday night performance against Virginia Tech, dropped out of the favorite to be the number one overall pick in 2022, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. He's now plus 300. The favorite still is Spencer Rattler at plus 225. Mm-hmm. But you can't come away from this performance against Tulane. So whatever, however much you liked Spencer Rattler last year, you can't come away from this performance improving on it. Because it's still it's still those same boneheaded mistakes that we we talked about the entire offseason. We're like, yeah. if he can get this out of his game, if he can work some of these turtle worthy plays out of his game, we're gonna be talking about the number one overall pick. And now you're still seeing that same shit. Yeah. And I think he, the prop I think the, the issue I have, and yeah, he's a faller, yeah, you don't like it. That is fucking coachable, right? Like you can get that out of him. Can you can it's so much more Maybe. coachable than arm talent, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I would argue that in he 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 should be he should be in a position to get coached up and you should be able to see this improve. And that's what I think a lot of coaches and a lot of scouts are going to be looking for from Spencer Rattler for the rest of the season. Yeah. It's the bigger thing is it should have been something that he improved upon. You know, it's, we anticipated an improvement in that regard in the decision-making in in those just ugly boneheaded throws, because that's what happens with more experience, but it comes out literally his first throw of the game and just forces a ball and I was a little underthrown. Maybe there was a window there, but forced it into a window that just you don't have to force. And and it was him holding the ball for forever and then doing that. So that that to me, I just I would be scared now if season ended today and there's a lot more season to go and he can clean that shit up and it but if the season ended today, I'd be terrified to draft him number one overall or in like the top five. I just would. There you go. Now on, to, now on to bust watch. I'm going to combine these segments. I don't think they should be both. I, I mean, you got the well, bust. Sometimes it's guy that I listen to Surly Low on. But it's, yeah, put them into both and we'll just all right, bust all right. guy. Bust watch and the I fucked up segment. Mm-hmm. Bust watch is identifying someone. You're, you're ready to call bust. Hey, this guy is not going to live up to yep. his high caliber expectation. The I fucked up is someone you were high on that has not lived up to that expectation. Yep. So bust watch. And an I fucked up. Willing to declare this guy a bust. It's LJ Collier. My gosh. First round pick from the Seattle Seahawks. And he was not a, we did not have a first round grade on him. Mm-hmm. He, he was a late second, early third. I believe he's in the 50s in the PFF draft board. But goes in the first round, 29th overall, the Seahawks back in 20, uh, I believe it was 19. 45.4 overall grade on 95 snaps this preseason. He is playing in the fourth quarter of games and not well, mind you. This guy would not be on that roster right now were he not a first-round pick. He is. It's not going to happen with LJ Collier. This is year three, and sorry to say, bust. Where do you think it went wrong? I remember when we were having conversations about LJ Collier, my biggest concern, well, my, in addition to not being an athlete, was that he didn't have another move. You know, like it was the it was the, oh. it was the bull, and that was it. And I remember we had that conversation, like, well, his, the bull is good enough, and he and he's going to win. I think he maybe made a yeah. Davenport comparison or someone who wins with, consistently with the bull. But like, the bull has even fucking won. <laughs> like that's that's well, the yeah, problem when you don't even have that. You don't even have your primary, so and you're was... searching for a secondary. I remember interviewing. I said, hey, a lot of people think you need another move. Like you only have the bull. And he's like, I only need one more move because the bull rushes money. Well, it has been money, and now he's uh, you know, obviously in a bad position. So yeah, coming out. 6'2", 283, 4'9", 30-inch vertical, 9'10", broad, 7'7", cone, and 4'7", shuttle. It was just, he was a 
below 25th percentile athlete for the position. So that's where you, that's where you get worried. We've talked a lot about process in the draft. Mm-hmm. Drafting below 25th percentile athletes in the first round the, yeah, is a scary bad process. Yeah. It's, well, it's at not quarterback. Yeah, not quarterback, obviously. All right, the I fucked up. I fucked up. This was kind of a PFF as a whole. A lot of guys, a lot of PFF had a lot of, he was had a lot of fans at PFF, shall we say. Will Greer, the former Panther quarterback, third rounder. So not super high expectations for him coming out NFL-wise. We had him as 24th, though, on the PFF draft. We had him above Daniel Jones. Yeah, which, I mean, it's not, it doesn't look like a massive, whatever, faux pas (laughs) at the moment. But 24th on the board, 2019. Steve Pelzello liked him. Sam Monson liked him. We all kind of liked him. Just not, never even came close to sniffing. And now that West Virginia offense under Dana Holgerson back in the day was not an NFL offense. It was not doing things that you're going to have to do in the NFL. And that's kind of the worry with a lot of guys uh, throwing, racking up high grades with go balls, nice go balls, and kind of the sort of Sam Howell thing where it's like, it's going to be different once you get to the league. And it was very different for Will Greer, and he does not, did not live up to it. Unfortunate stuff, man. It's kind of bleak. I don't know if I want to end the podcast with these segments, man. I'm kind of sad right now. Elton Collier and Will Greer down bad right now. Yeah, but now. it's not really that bleak for Will Greer because isn't his brother like that huge Nash TikTok? Greer. Yeah, Nash Greer. Yeah, he's, he's the like least famous, famous Greer brother. Really? Yeah, his two brothers. What does Nash Greer do? Just social media shit. I don't know. Whatever the... Sounds famous as hell. Yeah, you really know him. You really fucking know him. <laughs> but Will could get into that he space is. is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. It's not, okay. It's not well, good for the him. end of the road for him. Nash you, Greer has 11.2 million followers on Instagram. Same. Uh, no breakout watch this week? We did the whole breakout segment last week, and there hasn't been new football. So no breakout watch this week. All but right. we will have the first round lock segment. Week First week was Derek Stingley. Second week was Kayvon Thibodeau, who pray he plays this week with a low sprained ankle day-to-day. Let's hope. I'm willing to declare our boy, Evan Neal, Alabama left tackle, a first-round lock. Some of the best tape of any player, period, this past week against Miami. Dude was slabbing kids. Yeah. I mean, he is he is a different breed of offensive tackle that you're not, you don't see every year. Like, he is in the Mikai Becton range of freak. There was the a position. set against Miami where the edge player got a little bit of a jump on the snap. And I almost, you could almost tell he was offsides. Mm-hmm. And Neil had to adjust his set to meet him. Catch up. And he's still, and it wasn't, it was flawless, bro. Mm-hmm. And he, his feet for his size, I mean, I, I, yeah. I was, I, you know, we watched a lot of, I watched Kenyon Green from Texas AM. You watched him, <laughs> Icky Aquano from NC State. It doesn't look like Evan Neal's tape. Evan Neal's a different breed. He is uh, he's a monster. The Alabama off the tackle, first round lock, according to PFF. There we Mike. have it. And Three I locks. Like it. I like it. I like it a lot. That's I, I could have I could have gone to Kyle Hamilton though. Maybe next week. But that was that was a first Kyle round Hamilton, performance. Kyle Hamilton's gonna be on that segment for oh. sure. Mm, yeah. Who are you mostly uh we'll, we'll save that for tomorrow's episode. Yeah. I wanna Do a know, look, yeah. look ahead tomorrow. Look ahead. Cause th- this past week was fun, man. We had a lot of fucking good football. Dare I say, was it fun to watch? Mm. Fun to watch, watch. Fun to watch, watch. We'll get that tomorrow as well. We'll get continue. We'll continue to move forward here on the Tailgate Podcast. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick, Tailgate Podcast.